0: Well, good morning church family. It is good to be with you here today. If you're joining us here for the first time, a special warm welcome to you. We're so glad you're here. My name is Dan Min and I serve as the pastor here at ACF and it's my absolute joy, my honor, my privilege to welcome you here this morning. If you are new, I know that uh, we're uh, several weeks into the semester. We're still trying to figure out our place and and all that fun stuff. Uh, We would love to help you get plugged into the life of our church, if that's something that you would be interested in. Sunday service, joining us here on Sundays is is just one step in that process. And uh, we want to help you develop and mature as followers of Jesus. And as you pursue your faith here on campus, we want to, we as a church community want to help you in that. And so uh, we're glad you're here on Sundays, but if, if, uh, you're not already plugged into a campus ministry already. We would love to have you join us for midweeks and life groups. we got uh, uh, all kinds of ways that you can get plugged into, uh, into the body of Christ here. And uh, we, do, we do have um, uh, just different avenues and means to grow in our faith, and we want to invite you in that journey. And so uh, you can explore all of those options through our texting service. If you haven't caught on already, we do everything through text around here. This is, I mean, you're going to hear that over and over again. Just, just check out our texting service. Log on to our texting service. And if you haven't subscribed yet, uh, you can go ahead and do that at any point. Uh, just text ACF to, the, to that number or scan the QR code, and uh, you can hit send when... You're prompted. So we'd love to have you uh, plug away with us. We're glad you're here today. I'm glad to be opening up God's Word with uh, you here this morning. Uh, if, if you've been journeying with us, if you've been with us since the start of the semester, we've been in this series called Rooted and Grounded rooted and grounded. In fact, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up just uh, for the moment and the time being to Ephesians chapter 2. Um, you can open up, and we, we have officially moved out of, of Ephesians chapter 1. We are entering into chapter 2, and as I said, we've been in this series where we've been studying out of the book of Ephesians in order to discover what it means to live as rooted and grounded people. Uh, Because I I don't know about you, but everywhere I look, it seems like everyone's life is becoming uprooted in some way, upended in some way. There's a hardship or a trial or some kind of uh, difficulty that, that comes landing into our lives, and then all of a sudden we find our lives being uprooted and ungrounded. And and as people of faith, we've been suggesting that we perhaps are to live in a different kind of pace of life, a different kind of rhythm where we're not so rattled by the things that life throws at us, but rather we can stand on firm, a stable foundation and where we would be rooted and grounded in our faith with how turbulent life can get at times. What would it look like for us to handle the turbulence of life with ease, with a level of peace, and calm in our souls? What would that look like? And so we've been working through the book of Ephesians to learn how to do just that on a day-to-day basis. And so I want you to look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to pick up at verse 1, and we'll carry through to verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. You can use the handout. Uh, we've got the text printed out on the back side. there. We'll also have the text uh, on the screen behind me. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to pick up in verse 1 and carry through to verse 10 But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Verse 8, he says, For by by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Holy Spirit of God, speak to us now, through your word. The living God, speaking through the living word, cause us to come alive here today, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Friends, I wanna ask you, have you ever come across a deal that was just too good to be true. You know what I'm talking about. You, you come across a deal where it's just like you look at it and you say to yourself, yeah, I don't know, man, this seems too good to be true. Maybe you were doing some shopping and you came across an item that that was listed at a, at a steep, steep discount, right? And, and you look at the price tag and you say, this is just... Too good to be true, or you—you you were doing some, you—you uh, you were online and you saw an online ad pop up, and you thought to yourself, "There's no way this is a real deal. There's no way that, you know, these Nike off whites are selling for fifty bucks. You know, ain't no chance. Like, there's no way that this MacBook Pro is selling for two hundred and fifty dollars. Like, Apple never goes on sale. Get thee behind me, Satan. This is not true. This is not real. Don't, you know, we've come across deals where we say." This is just too good to be true. You know, the truth is, usually these deals are indeed just that too good to be true. Now, whatever the case might be, it it can either be, you know, false advertisement or or maybe the price tag you were looking at, we're missing a zero or two, and you say, well, okay, that that makes sense. But whatever the case is, these too good to be true deals are just that. They are too good to be true. To be true except when it comes to grace you see grace the grace of god is often perceived as a deal that is too good to be true in fact many theologians and historians and scholars have wrestled with the subject of God's grace all throughout history and in many regards the the grace of God when you when you stop to think about it for a minute the grace of God actually makes no sense some have even called this the scandal of grace this is a scandalous grace this thing called grace makes no human sense apart from Jesus Grace is a category that does not neatly fit into any of our human constructs. In fact, Philip Yancey, the, uh, the author of What's So Amazing About Grace, a book that I would highly recommend that you read at some point, uh, Philip Yancey says this about grace. He says, Grace is the most perplexing, powerful force in the universe. It is the most perplexing. It is the most powerful force in the universe. And he goes on and he says, And I believe the only hope for our twisted and violent planet it's the most perplexing powerful force in the universe and yet it's the only thing that can actually save us the grace of god can often seem to many like a deal that is too good to be true and yet what we discover in today's passage is that it is actually entirely true this is not false advertisement this is not clickbait. This is not a price tag missing a, a couple of zeros. This is actually a real deal that we are invited into. This thing called grace that seems to make zero sense in our finite human understanding is the very hope that we root and ground ourselves in as people of faith. In fact, I'd say it this way when we feel most uprooted in our lives, our only option is to fall into God's grace. See, how many times have we felt uprooted and ungrounded and we feel like the ground that we're shaking on is just beginning to disintegrate and crumble right beneath us. We feel like falling. We feel like collapsing. We feel like crumbling. And to that, I'd say, friend, fall. But make sure you fall into the grace of God. When we feel most uprooted in our lives, friends, hear me, our only option, our only option is to fall into God's grace grace but hang on now hang on let's just rewind just just a few steps back what in the world are we even talking about when we're talking about grace right like what what is this confounding thing that has that has uh, that has left historians and scholars perplexed all throughout history what is this thing called grace anyway what well, paul tells us in today's passage but before he gets to the gospel of grace the good news of what grace is Paul plays a little game called Worst Case Scenario. Plays a little game of Worst Case Scenario. Quick quick question, any fans of the show This Is Us in the room? Yep, uh, all five of you, awesome. Okay. You guys gotta get on this. I mean, This Is Us is a show that, that my wife and I watch religiously. I mean, we're all caught up and we've, we, we watch it when it airs and all, all. We watch together, we laugh together, we cry together. And it's a, it's a spiritual moment, okay? It is a spiritual moment watching This Is Us. Now, if, you, if you've never watched This Is Us, no condemnation, slight judgment, but no condemnation, okay? L- let, me, let me introduce to you two real quickly, two characters in the story This Is Us. Their names are Randall and Beth Pearson. Randall and Beth, are, uh, they're married, and in their marriage, they hit various moments of struggles. Uh, turmoil, hardships, they, they hit different forks in the road where a, a difficult decision has to be made. And and in those moments, part of the way they process their struggles, part of the way they process their, um, their uh, uh, points of decision making is through this little game that they call worst case scenario. And what they do is they take turns throwing out all possible worst-case scenarios that could come about from this particular decision or this particular struggle. They lay out on the table all their fears, all their worries, all their anxieties, all their what-ifs, what-ifs, what-if-this, what-if-that. They lay it all out and what they do is they walk through all of these possible worst-case scenarios. Really the whole point of the exercise is, is is to settle their minds and ease their minds to say, well if we can walk through that, surely we can walk through this, if we can walk through those worst case scenarios, maybe this struggle, maybe this decision isn't so weighty after all. And if they can handle these hypothetical situations, they can handle this real life circumstance. Now, Paul does something very similar here with us in the opening verses of Ephesians 2. He lays out our worst case scenario, except this is no hypothetical situation. This is not a game for Paul. This is not an imaginary exercise that Paul is playing with us. Rather, this is our very real, factual, literal reality. Listen to what he says here. He says in the very first verse, he he, he doesn't mince his words, he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. In, In other words, you and I, we're the walking dead, right? You and I were the walking I dead. Don't, I don't know why I'm making all these TV references. I'm not even a fan of the show, but just go with me. You and I, BC, before Christ, you and I were good as dead. We were enslaved and we were bound by the powers of sin and trespasses in our lives. You and I were walking around essentially as dead people, as spiritually dead people going nowhere, It's pretty bad i mean it doesn't get much worse than you're dead right like worst case to talk about worst case scenarios but then he goes on he says hang on you are following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air now paul here is referencing the enemy of our souls here he's talking about satan satan is referenced here as the prince of the power of the air and so listen paul is saying without christ We were essentially governed and ruled by Satan himself. Our greatest influence, our greatest source of influence and power in our lives was the devil himself. Again, I mean, talk about worst-case scenarios. I'm not sure it gets much worse than that, that we would be our primary source of influence in our lives would be the devil. But then Paul goes on, and he says, okay, let, let let me... Let me keep pulling on this thread just a little bit more. He goes on a little bit further, and he says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Well, now, okay, now, hang on, Paul. That doesn't sound so bad now, does it? I mean, I I got passions in my life. I got desires, right? Like, I mean, what's what's so wrong with carrying them out and living them out? And Paul's response to that is that the, the problem, people, friends, is that these passions and desires have actually caused you to become objects of wrath, children of wrath. Now, because you got to remember, because your passions and desires, when governed by sin, when influenced by the enemy of your soul, left to your own mortal devices, guess where they all lead you? They all lead you to death. They all lead you to destruction. And so Paul here lays out our worst-case scenario. We are slaves to our sins. We are under the rule and the governance of the enemy of our souls. We are hopelessly bound by the passions and desires of our flesh that lead us further and further and further away from God. And oh, by the way, there's no getting out of this eternal loop of despair. You are stuck in this hopeless state forever. Welcome to your new reality. Aren't you glad that Paul didn't end the book of Ephesians at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3? Aren't you glad that this isn't the end of the story? Because as we read on, we get to verse 4. And verse 4 opens up with two words that change the course of eternity forever. Two words that flip the script entirely. Two words that have change the very fabric of our reality as we know it. Two words, he says, but God. Here's your worst case scenario. Every possible worst case scenario that you can think of you're dead to your sins, you're influenced and governed by the, 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 the power of the, the prince of the air, you're, you're, you're bound by your carnal, fleshly, earthly desires and, and passions. and Every possible worst case scenario that we can think of, we get to verse four and it comes to a screeching halt, but God. Your worst case scenario, but God. But God, being rich, in mercy, Who is this God? He is rich in mercy. He is dripping with mercy. He is overflowing with mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. What's his love like? It's great. It is vast. It's expansive. He loves us with a great love. It's the kind of love that covers all, all kinds of worst case scenarios. And it's out of this place of mercy and love that the grace of God then flows and it pours over into our lives. Now, listen, we get a picture of who God is in verse four. Right? If Verse four is a picture of who God is. In verses five through nine, Paul then paints a picture of what God did. He's like, this is who God is. He is rich in mercy. He, he loves you with an unending, great, vast, expansive love. This is who God is. Now let me tell you what God did. And in some ways, defining grace by what God did might be more helpful than just providing a Webster's version of the word grace. And so let me try to paint a picture for you of what grace is by by showing you what God did, right? But, But, you know, you can really know what someone is saying, and they mean what they say by their actions. And so let's look at what God did. Here's what God did. Here's a picture of grace. Number one, he made us alive when we deserved to remain dead. He made us alive when we deserved to remain dead. Verse five, Paul says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were dead in our trespasses, what that means, friends, is our status didn't change. Our worst case scenario, when Jesus found us, when God found us, he found us in our worst case scenario. It's not like we we got ourselves cleaned up and then we got our acts together and then God found us and then he rescued us. God found us in the midst of our worst-case scenario. In fact, there was nothing that we could have done to change our situation. We couldn't free ourselves from the power of sin or the grip of the enemy or the passions and, and lusts of our flesh. We couldn't rescue ourselves. When Christ found us, we were still dead in our trespasses. And it was in that state that God reached down for us. He pulled us up, and he made us alive together with Christ, You see, friends, hear me. Grace does not wait for us to change. That's not grace. Grace does not wait for us to change. The grace of God comes and finds us right where we are. In the midst of our filth, in the midst of our junk, in the midst of our mess, in the midst of what is our lives, it's the grace of God that comes and changes us. We can't change ourselves, but the grace of God most definitely can. We don't have the power to change ourselves and free ourselves, but the grace of God is able to come breaking into our every worst-case scenario in order to make us alive in him. That's grace. Grace doesn't wait for us to get our acts together and change. Grace is actually the very thing that changes us. The grace of God says, I'm not waiting for you to change and get get yourself cleaned up. I'm going to come find you and reach for you and make you, cause you to become alive even if you deserved to remain dead. That's grace. The second thing that God did was he secured our destiny with him, not apart from him. He secured our destiny with him, not apart from him. This, you know for church folks, this might seem like a little thing, but it's no little thing. I want you to understand the significance of this. Do you realize that Jesus could have easily saved us and just sent us off on our merry way? Right? Like, why, why couldn't he do that? Jesus, I mean, he, he could have just said, okay, your sins are forgiven. You're, you're made alive. Okay. Now go on and live life. We'll see you later, right? Like he could, have, he could have saved us and sent us off to go on and live our best lives, but instead, what he did was he saved us so that he might seat us with him in the heavenly places. That's what that's what this passage is saying. In verses six and seven, he's saying God saved us so that he might seat us with him in the heavenly places because listen now grace doesn't just prove that god loves you grace proves that god actually likes you and this is good news friends this is good news because we can all we can all get on board and check the box yeah I now i know god loves me god is love god is love right god is all this all is love all is good god loves me god loves you Let's sing kumbaya hold hands around the campfire and we're just saying God loves us, right? This, like we can all accept that. We can all believe that. But I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how many of us truly believe that God actually likes me, that God likes us, he, he, that he would like to spend time with us, that he actually loves being around us. He, he, he loves to be in our company. Let me ask you, friends, this question. Do you have people in your own life that you like? Right? like I don't mean like in a romantic kind of way, but like people in your life that you genuinely like being around them. You like their company, right? Like when, whenever you're around them, you walk away feeling like, oh, that, my heart is full, right? Like my, my spirit feels lifted. I, I, I can't wait until the next time I get to spend time with them. Like they, they're fun to be around. They're enjoyable to be around. They lift your spirits. Now, on the flip side, on the flip side, have you ever been around people that you don't particularly like. Uh, don't start looking around the room and making eye contact with people. I mean, that's make things real awkward here. We don't want that, right? But, but, but listen, now, I know we're all trying to put on our Sunday best, like, yeah, you know, like, and let's just be honest. There are people in our lives that we just don't like. We, don't, we, we just don't like people. We don't like certain people. And, you know, you could probably come up with a whole list of the kinds of people you don't like. And it could be for any number of reasons. Maybe when you're around them, you, you know, they're, they're, they're just overly negative and pessimistic, right? Like, maybe you know people like that in your life. Yeah, like, you're, you're around them, and you're like, oh, I just, I don't, I don't, I didn't like that. I don't know what that was all about. I just, I know I'm walking away feeling like, oh, you know, like, or, or maybe you're, there are people in your life that just aren't the most life-giving people, you know, you spend some time with them and you walk away feeling drained. Your life is just feeling drained. Like, how many of you have been, ever been with someone you feel like you need a nap after you spend time with them, right? Like, and again, like it's like, yeah, we love people. We love it. Okay, we understand that. But this is real talk. There are people where you just feel drained. You just don't like being around them. Or, or maybe you just feel walking away feeling like, I'd be okay if I never hung out with that person ever again in my life. I'd be okay with that. We have people like that. Now, believe it or not, that's the way God should feel about you and me. For all intents and purposes, that's the way God should. Based on what Paul described in the opening verses of this passage, given that our state of being did not change, that's the way God should have felt towards us. But the grace of God says, no, 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 no. I actually want to be around you. But get this, not only that What this text indicates is that the grace of God not only only proves that He loves us, not only proves that He likes us, but He actually wants to spend eternity with us. I mean, that—that you realize that's a long time to spend with someone. Like I I know, even the most positive, most life-giving people, I hit a certain point where I'm like, "Okay, I'm good. I'm tapped out. I'm ready to go home." Right? Like. God is saying, no, 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 I like you to the point where I want to spend eternity, every moment of my being, every moment of your life and your eternity, I want it with you. That's how much I like you. I like being around you. I like your company. I like I like being together. God shows us that he likes us so much so that, that, that he would secure our destiny with him and not apart from him. That's grace. That's grace. Grace of God is not just that, oh, God loves us, amen, hallelujah, but the grace of God, the grace of God is, oh, God likes me. <laughs> he, he thinks I'm, I'm pretty cool. He thinks I'm, I'm life-giving to him. He actually enjoys being with me, so much so that he would secure my destiny with him and not apart from him. And lastly, we see that God saved us For free. God saved us for free. I I mean, talk about deals that are too good to be true. This is a a powerful truth that Paul gives us. He he says here in verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. I mean, if you want a verse to ponder on this week, ponder on that one. For by grace you have been saved through faith. You ever wonder how someone gets saved? You ever you ever wonder? I mean, like for me, I, I, I don't know what it is. I like peering into, into how things are made and how things are formed, how things come into being, you know, like, I, I don't know, it's just like, it fascinates me how things are made. It goes from nothing to this thing that's like fully operating. It's like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, I, I don't know if your mind works the same way, you engineering type, maybe, maybe you can understand that. Like, how, how does this work, right? Uh, think about this. How does someone become a Christian? How does someone get saved, right? What's, what's that process like? You know, if someone came to you and said, "What, what do I need to become? A, what do I need to do to become a Christian?" How would you respond to that? Well, friend, the way you become a Christian is, well, you work really hard to to please God. You you just you gotta you gotta work real hard. You know, like this is a this is an uphill battle. This this Christian life thing, it's an uphill climb, and uh, ultimately at the pinnacle at the top is. The pleasure of God, that like God will be pleased with you if you climb this mountain. Well, how do you climb it? Well, you say no to things like sex, drugs, and alcohol. You stop using bad language. You clean up your language. You you might want to go through your Spotify account and, uh, you know, eliminate any explicit songs. I don't know, like maybe, you know, take out that playlist, take out that playlist. and um, Oh, you also, you know... You know, those parties that you like to go to, you might want to stay out of those. In fact, just replace those with church activities. Just go to church. Every time you want to go to a party, just go to church. Go to church function, go to a church activity, you know. In fact, you actually get bonus credits, did you know, when you give an offering, when you join a small group, when you join a Bible study, you you actually get Bonus credit. God gives you extra stars for that. And when you serve in the church, oh man, you're like at an upper tier, like tier A level there. I mean, we're talking a different level there. And you keep doing that for the rest of your life and just maybe, just maybe, God might be happy with all of your good efforts and deeds and as a result, he might reward you with a one-way ticket to heaven at some point. And that's how you get saved. What do you say? You want to become a Christian? Right? I I, I mean, I don't know if anyone has heard that speech before. I don't know if anyone has heard that sort of gospel presentation. I certainly hope not. I hope that's nowhere near a gospel presentation that you've heard because that is not how you get saved. The process is actually way simpler, believe it or not. All you have to do to get saved is believe and receive. Believe and receive. That that is all you have to do to get saved, to become a Christian. All you have to do is believe and receive. You see friends, this is why people say, how does this make sense? How does the grace of God make sense that all we would have to do that, that, That all we would have to do on our part is simply believe and receive. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. You see, you believe that the finished work of Jesus on the cross was sufficient to purchase your salvation. That there was nothing that you could have done, added or detracted from the cross of Christ to earn your salvation. You put your faith and confidence in what God has done for you and not what you can do for God. You see, that's, that's the American way, right? You earn your way to the top. You climb the corporate ladder. You work hard enough and you'll get what you deserve. Grace, the message of God's grace is completely upside down. That God gives to you something that is free, something that is, that that, that it's like, this is, this is, he's going to lavish this on you without expecting anything in return. All he's going to ask of you is to believe and receive. Do you know, you, you realize, you read through the gospel of John, how many times, how many, how often Jesus would say, do you believe this? He would be going around and preaching to people and performing all kinds of miracles and preaching about the kingdom of God. And he will say, "He'd say, guys, do you believe this? Do you do you believe this? See, all God asks of us, all God sees, but, and, and all that He wants from us is, hey." People of God, do you believe that I have done this for you, but not just believe cognitively, but receive with your heart the finished work of Jesus, this free gift of salvation? Do you receive? Do you receive this free gift? And Paul goes on as to debunk any further myths about how someone gets saved. He says, listen, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Friends, grace is God doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. Grace is God doing for us what we can never do for ourselves. And our only response to the work of God is to believe and receive. Believe and receive. Receive the free gift of God that he graciously offers us. He saved us for free. Now, let me just quickly clarify. It's free for us. It wasn't free for him. It cost God everything to save us. It cost God everything to do for us what we can never do for ourselves. That's grace. That's grace. We are saved by grace through faith. Church, I wonder, are you seeing now that when we feel most uprooted in our lives, our only option is to fall into God's grace? Our only option is to fall into God's grace. In those moments in our lives when we feel most overwhelmed, in those moments of our lives when we feel anxiety taking over us, those moments when we are struggling to get by, the best thing we can do is to fall, but fall into God's grace. And listen, if God is able to make us alive when we deserve to remain dead, if God is able to secure our destiny with him for all of eternity, if God is able to save us and redeem us, don't you think he can catch us when we fall? Don't you think that we have a God who will be able to catch us by his grace when we fall? Every single day, that's what he does with our lives. That's why the Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Every morning. That's a reminder that we need his mercy and grace every morning, therefore he makes his mercy and grace available to us every single morning. When we feel most uprooted, when we feel like falling, God is more than able to catch us every single time for his mercies and grace are new for us every single day. See, that's the whole point of grace. So today, church family, I want to encourage you to fall. (laughs) Fall. Let's fall into God's grace and let, let him cover us. Let him bathe us. Let him wash over us with the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Holy Spirit of God, here this morning, I want to ask that you would move upon our hearts, move upon our souls, Would you come and do what only you can do? Even before we close with this final song here, God, we just ask that you would be doing a deep inner heart work in us and through us. I pray that the grace of God would become so tangible, so real. Lord, I realize that in in a in a one hour service or so to try to unpack the grace of God that has, that has perplexed humanity for the ages. It, it, it's almost impossible. But Lord, I pray that in a very real tangible way that you would show us, show us, each of us individually on a personal level, what the grace of God can do and what it's like and how it's working in our lives this morning. Friends, I, I think maybe for some of us, even before we get to the good news of God's grace, we need to sit in the bad news of our worst-case scenario. Sometimes I wonder if the narrative that we hear in our society, in our world today, is that you're good, you're good, you're accepted just as you are, you're good, you, you, you know, you don't need to worry, you're not as bad as you think you are, you're not as terrible as you think you are. I hate to tell you, church, the Bible has a different message. And i don't particularly love to preach it but but i don't know how to how to get to the gospel of grace without the depravity of our own humanity i don't know how to get to the good news before we sit a little while in the bad news i don't know that that the gravity of god god saving us and making us alive when we deserve to remain dead will will do anything to for our spirits if if we didn't think that we need we need to be made alive in the first place, if we didn't think we were dead in the first place. And so listen, I'm not I'm not trying to end the service on a downer. Oh man, that's not that is not what I want to do by any means. But I wonder if if the Lord wants to do some business with you in the quiet places of your heart to say, Hey, do you realize the worst case scenario that you were sitting in? B.C., before Christ, before Christ came along, and, and I don't know, maybe there's some some of us friends here today that, that we are feeling in a real tangible way the, the worst-case scenarios of our lives. Maybe we're feeling the weight of our sins. Maybe we're feeling the pull and the tug of earthly, fleshly desires of the world. Maybe we're feeling on a very palpable level the the influence of the enemy of our souls. Friends, today I want to tell you there is good news. The grace of God is more powerful than you realize to rescue you and free you from all of that. All you need to do is believe and receive. Believe and receive. And what that looks like is simply falling into the grace of God saying, God, I'm done trying. I'm done striving. I'm done with the efforts. I'm going to simply fall into God's grace because I can't change myself, but if this preacher man is saying the grace of God can, well, heck, that's my only option. And so we fall into God's grace. So Holy Spirit of God, even here in this moment, would you move, would you stir in us? Holy Spirit of God, come, have your way. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen.